New jingle, new voices. Welcome to this special guest season of Retrain Your Brain with me, chartered psychologist Dr. Audrey Tang. In this season, I am privileged to speak to so many well-being guest experts to learn all about their field and to give you loads of practical tips and tools to live your best life. I'm your host, Dr. Audrey Tang. I'm a chartered psychologist. And tonight we are talking about understanding individual needs. And we are actually looking throughout the lifespan, which is very exciting tonight. And my first guest is Eve Polinsky of the University Liggett School in Michigan, with whom I had the pleasure of working for her Wellbeing Week. Welcome to the lounge, Eve. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you so much. Really excited to be here and chat yet again. I'm so happy that you were able to join me. And also, I know we've got a time difference going on, so I really appreciate it. What are some of the issues that you've been managing post-pandemic when it comes to having to deal with lockdown and so on? Because you're working with young people at quite a delicate transitioning age. The main thing that we've actually seen at the school is really trying to get back to any sense of normalcy structure and accountability. So it's been two years of being in what I would call survival mode. All the little things didn't really matter at that point, right? We were so concerned about student mental health, student physical health. Are they doing all right? There were financial struggles that many families were going through. So when a student didn't show up to class, or if they showed up in person or online or needed an extension, we just let everything happen and we let everything go. And now we're trying to get back to, okay, we have to be in class at a certain time. We actually have a certain due date for this assignment. Yes, this test is going to be this day. No, I will not move it one week at a time, every single week indefinitely. And it's really hard getting there because you still want to be kind and love the students and nurture them because maybe there is still something going on. And of course, there's all the after effects of the pandemic. But at the same time, I know you're a fan of Renee Brown, and I really am. And one of the big things that she talks about is when we remove all of this struggle, and we remove all of these roadblocks from our students, we don't allow them to actually build resiliency and hope. And that's something really as teachers, I think we're taking all of that away from them. And I worry, how do we get back to that place where we can still hold them accountable in a healthy way? Yes, wanting to support them and give a certain amount of guidance and probably be there for them. But they have to learn to make their own mistakes. They have to learn to problem solve themselves. I mean, you hear about these helicopter parents who are following their children into everything that they do. And that child is Mm. only going to learn that, oh, if I mess up, it's okay because someone's going to rescue me. And that's that's not healthy for them. And something now, too, that we talk about is snowplow parents, which is a new thing that I've heard of, where we're basically removing every single obstacle. What are some of the things that you're working with your students on to build that resilience, to build that mental and emotional fortitude? I'm still struggling to find that out myself. And it's something I constantly talk with the other teachers about. One thing I've really tried is to provide that structure, but then teach self-advocacy so that instead of me constantly removing every obstacle, I'm hoping that the students learn that when they truly do need it, they're able to speak up and advocate for themselves. So whether it's 
sitting with a student and helping them draft a letter to another teacher saying why they need an extension or why they weren't able to do something and really talking them through it or how to have this difficult conversation. How do you ask for something versus assuming everyone needs it and giving it to them, but actually teaching them to have a voice to stick up for their own personal needs. I love that. It's something that actually even adults struggle with as well. And I know when I deliver training sessions to to people who have been, who've got many more years of experience, one of the things I have to teach them to ask others instead of giving help straight away and instead of almost doing the work for them is to ask them, how best can I help you? What would you like me to do? Because that way empowers the other person to actually voice what they need. And I think your help's more effective that way as well. And another thing too, sometimes when we remove all these barriers, we're not really removing them. I guess if you think of a snow plow, what we're really doing is actually putting all the snow in one big pile further down the road, which just creates more anxiety because now they get to a point where they're trying to move ahead. They're trying to learn new information, learn the next thing, do the next thing, be future focused, but they're being dragged down by all of this stuff from the past that they're still dragging along with them. So we think we're doing them a service, but are we, or are we doing them a disservice by actually just making it harder later down the road, right? Yes, yes. And thinking about that as well, if you face barriers, you can get quite passionate about finding ways of breaking them. And that can lead to so many new innovations and social enterprises and amazing things that young people have got the energy to do. I know that, for example, Mm -hmm. period poverty, it's young people who are pioneering those sorts of campaigns and movements. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. So we're taking away their opportunity to do that as well. So much comes from actually struggling and trying to figure out okay, this isn't working. So something needs to change. I need to create something that will work. I need to create a new system. You know, again, are we helping them by actually snowplowing everything out of the way? What do you think young people need from schools these days? Because sometimes I think society also needs to to do something and to help. We can't just push everything into the school to solve all of the problems. I think it's so funny that you actually said that because my biggest thing whenever somebody asks, right, what should schools be doing? I think society thinks everything. And it is, it's a community effort. It can't just be schools. It's got to be your loved ones, the entire community around you. This is a team effort. So I love that you said that because it cannot just be on schools. I think that's a huge thing. Some of the things that we're doing, I know at our school, for example, now that the pandemic isn't what it used to be the last two years, we have sports resuming. So just simply having students be a part of a sports team, feel a part of the community, feel like they're working towards something, competing, winning at something or learning how to get better. I think that is really great for their mental well-being. Back to doing field trips or doing class trips and actually going somewhere, having activities where students can bond with their classmates and with their teachers. I get to know my students on a different level. They get to know me on a different level. They get to have another mentor or another adult in their life outside of their family. And on these trips, a lot of times students don't love it, but we'll take their phones away. Yes. It's like this, right? Where I think like they know they want to feel a sense of belonging, but they also want their phones. So we have to be there to, again, almost, provide this struggle and say, I know 
that you don't want time away from technology, but at the same time, you know, you need it. And so I'm going to make sure that you get it. What could society be doing a little bit more in order to support? The biggest thing that society and all of us adults can do is really set examples of how to properly take care of our own selves, right? Because students are always watching. Like we think we're teaching them one thing, but they're really learning something completely different by watching how we lead our own lives. So us learning effective ways to handle our own stress, manage our own stress in difficult situations, I think students watching that will then learn from us the ways that they can also effectively manage their stress. Then there's also a lot, I think we assume that they do know. I think we assume that, oh, they know that they should get eight hours of sleep. They know their cell phones are bad for them. They know that they should be eating breakfast before school. They know that they need to do their homework, but do they? Mm. So I think sometimes we assume too much and we have to show them how. I fully agree. And I think something that I push a lot for is to try and make outside changes to support the frontline personnel, teachers, nurses, doctors, mm. who are looking out for the well-being of other people to make sure they themselves look after their own well-being. Because it's, it's all very well saying, you must do this for your students, you must do this for your patients. But if you're not giving these professionals the time, the money, the support to be able to do it, how can you expect them to, to do a good job? I, I truly wish everybody could hear you saying this because It's true, right? We give, give, give. And I think educators and nurses and all the people that you're talking about on the front line, these are very specific careers that require so much of us, so much heart, so much emotion that you are especially drained from constantly giving and giving and and pouring your cup into others. Do you find that uh, teaching has progressed positively? I know we are concern more with well-being at least for the students have you noticed or what are your favorite changes that you have seen over the years there has definitely been a shift pre-pandemic at least we were looking more at student focused and student-led learning versus Mm -hmm. teacher-led now with the pandemic a lot of that did pause for a couple years because again we didn't want students working together we had students online in person so it went back to teacher-led It's getting back to more student-led, which I think is really positive because students have more of an opportunity to become leaders, to learn how to work with others, to really throw out ideas, learn the soft skills like communication, teamwork, meeting deadlines, etc. And I think we've been more focused on of non-traditional areas of study. For example, we have financial analysis. We're learning about money through playing a stock market game. Now that we have technology, we can do that. So we do a stock market simulation. We don't open a book and talk about, okay, chapter one, we're going to learn about inflation and deflation. We happen to be talking about inflation because everything that was going on in the news with inflation ratings was affecting our stocks. So we were looking at why is this affecting certain stocks, certain sectors in one way, and why is it affecting certain sectors in another way? And what does inflation mean? Who does it benefit? And having these real world conversations, you know, which I think is really great. So just getting to a point of, okay, maybe not getting away from the textbook and saying, 
what's new in the world. Social media is something that's up and coming. How do we turn in or create assignments where students actually have to post something on social media and create a reel or a TikTok explaining their knowledge? Because, hey, this might be their career one day. Everything is changing and moving quickly. A lot of students want to talk about cryptocurrency. The whole world doesn't even know what to make of cryptocurrency. And yet the students want to learn about it. It's not in a textbook yet. It doesn't have, it's not recorded yet. I don't know that it's decided yet what we're going to do with it. And companies are trying to make different things work. So, you know, I love it. My students are asking. And I was just actually recently doing a mortgage. I'm like, let me ask the loan officer. I said, hey, can you do a loan with cryptocurrency? He said, you know what? Funny, you should ask for the first time someone came into the bank and asked. So we're learning things that the banks don't even know the answer to, but students want to know when they're excited. And I think that's a really positive change that, that we're doing that, that we're becoming more future focused. Yes. Oh my goodness. I could not agree with you more. And it's, it's so important. That's the same thing I find when I'm teaching uni students in their first year. It's not about talking about their graduation in two years time. It's about what's your field going to look like in three or four years time? What skills are you developing for that? And you're, you're absolutely right. And it's exciting. And, and I think as, as educators, we learn from what the students want to know about as well and can, can broaden our knowledge. Oh my goodness. I wish I could talk longer with you, Eve. So please come back on the show again. I'd love to, Audrey. Every interaction with you is amazing. I learn so much every single time. So thank you. No, totally my pleasure. Um, Do you have any social media that we could follow you on or maybe get in touch on LinkedIn or something like that? I do have Instagram. It's my name, Eve Polinsky. So if you want, then that's definitely the way to get a hold of me. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you, Audrey. Take care. And that's all we have time for. But if you'd like to find out more, do go to my website, which is www.draudreyt.com and check out my articles, which give you practical tools to live your best life. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Audrey Tang, Tools to Thrive.